Good morning. I'm Joanna Roach, and you're listening to The Nature of Nantucket. I'm with the Mariah Mitchell Association, and I'm here with our visiting scientist, Dr. Rich Blundell. Welcome, Rich. Hi. Good to see you again, Joanna. Really excited to talk with you this morning a little bit more about the work you've been doing here this summer. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been about six months now. We're coming up on six months. I got to say, it's been totally amazing. In some ways, you know, I expected some of what was going on, but so much of it has just been beyond my expectations. Now, as the summer's starting to wind down, let's not, well, we don't need to rush it. Let's just say there's a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> and I'm starting to reflect on the kind of research that I've been doing, which is a very, let's say, unconventional, unique kind of research that I call OICA research which is research that really explores the, how do I say this, the continuities and the patterns and the anomalies that show up in a place across its natural and cultural ecosystems. So I'll see if I can say that again a little more clearly. Oika research is about studying the patterns that show up in natural ecosystems and cultural ecosystems. So that's sort of what I arrived here to do was to look at um, the Mariah Mitchell Association and Mariah Mitchell in the context of Nantucket and all that you know, Nantucket is in terms of, a, of an ecosystem. It's been fascinating. Mm-hmm. It feels like, you know, in conventional academic research or scientific research, you know, you go out and you do field work, you collect data, you observe, you record things, and then you do some kind of experiment, and then you retreat back to the lab or, or retreat from the lab and do your analysis and then you publish. It feels like right now I'm at the place where I'm just starting to just starting to, to put it all all the pieces together. So all of the I've been spending a lot of time in the in the in the habitats out here, a lot of time with the people, a lot of time reading and researching Mariah Mitchell's writings and just being in the place. And many fascinating insights have been emerging from that. That's the work. It's a little bit eclectic, I guess, but I'm already starting to see some of these really interesting patterns and really, uh, I'm starting to see what in ecology we would call the fecundity of this ecosystem, which means its capacity to create. I'm really starting to see the fecundity uh, emerge. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm just really excited to now think about how to write this stuff up. I mean, normally you'd be going into publication mode at this point, but because I'm not really going to be like publishing in any journals, it's more about how can I communicate what, what I've learned uh, through things like, you know, uh, new media, social media, podcasts, short films that I make, that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. so that's where I'm at. I mean, I'd love to get into some of these insights if, you know. Sure. Well, I think some of what you're saying is interesting because the experience that I've had is that, you know, the things that Mariah Mitchell represented are reflect a lot of what's going on in the world today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of similarity between that and the way that Nantucket often reflects a lot of what's going on in the world today. So these things tend to be mirrors of each other. Totally. And, you know, Nantucket very often represents or leads the world, really, in thinking and in doing. Uh, certainly, you know, Mariah Mitchell did all those years ago. We're coming up on the 175th anniversary of her discovery of the comet. And she was 29 years old when she climbed the stairs of the bank and saw that comet, and it changed the trajectory of not only her life, but the lives of women. And, you know, she was the first 
librarian at the Athenaeum at a time where women didn't have those jobs. And so we're kind of experiencing that now because, you know, modern history is in the process of looking back and realizing that during that period, during many periods, women weren't even written in history, right? And so here we have this woman who was really a leader in many ways on this island that was led by women who we don't know that much about. Well, but luckily she wrote. She wrote about herself. She wrote about what she was thinking, what she was doing. And so we have that record, which I just, and this is one of those things. It's like, it pops out to me as I look at it. Like, for example, I've I've got some quotes here, some of the things that she wrote. There is the sort of well-known thing that she said when she says that we especially need imagination in science. It's not all mathematics nor all logic, but it is somewhat beauty and poetry. So, Yes, of course, she discovered a comet. And yes, she was, you know, a world-class scientist of her time. But she also had this profound appreciation of, of this more ineffable experience of being, mm-hmm. especially being on Nantucket. Mm-hmm. I mean, I walked out last night. So I woke up in the middle of the night. Sometimes I just go out, look up. It was unbelievable how overwhelming the stars were. And I can, I could, all I could do was think about her having that same kind of experience and how that would have drawn her out, you know, every night to go and look at the stars. Mm -hmm. You can still have that experience here, which Mm -hmm. is absolutely fascinating. And it's, I think it's part of this place's fecundity. It's Mm -hmm. part of what makes this place so attractive to so many remarkable people and cultural forces. It's just. She certainly represented, you know, a connection to nature. And I think that over the years that I've lived here, one of the things I've observed is that that is the thing that Nantucketers have in common, whether you were born into this life or whether you are awash ashore. uh, There is a certain experiential connection to the nature of Nantucket, and it's visceral, right? Exactly like what you're describing happened to you last night. And in complexity science, we call that a... um uh, a strange attractor, <laughs> or it's a, it's a basin of attraction where it it attracts more and more of that creative energy, that mm-hmm. sort of curiosity, and all, and it just accumulates here, at least for the summer, you know, for the for the right. summer season. But then, what's really cool is that it gets a break. You know, this this island gets to take a breather from, <laughs> you know, the the humanity that comes here. And then it ramps up again, and the sum, it, it's, it's really been amazing to, to witness. Well, it's a rhythm. It's like the tide. The yeah. tide comes in, the tide goes out. And it's a creative rhythm, just like the tide is, because if we didn't have the yeah. tides, we wouldn't have that, you know, the mixing and, and all that. So I don't know if you can hear it, but I, I just feel really grateful to have had this opportunity to, like, to, to really just witness and observe what's going on out here and participate. just think it's going to um, result in some really interesting ideas and um, outputs I think so in the too. coming months. I think that there is also uh, an attraction to the island from big thinkers, right? Big thinkers come here. Well, and also big ideas get hatched here. Yes. You know, be, you know, this has that history of a diversity getting imported organically on whaling ships mm-hmm. and then starting to steep here. That diversity gets to work creating and from that creativity comes big ideas, which attracts big ideas. So I think you're absolutely right on that. Well, it's also something, I think, to do with the socioeconomic political climate here in that we are in many ways like our own country, right? And we are this melting pot of many different ethnicities and cultural experiences and backgrounds. And 
at times it's a struggle. Yeah, yeah. Well, it definitely creates, how shall we say, <laughs> uh, tension. Yeah. Sometimes creative, sometimes yeah. not, not disruptive, so much. Right? Disruptive, right? Disruptive. Dis- it's a disruptive tension. I think we're experiencing this right now. If you're reading the news on Nantucket, you're seeing that this is playing out. Right. Right in front of our eyes. And in many ways, this is probably very much what it was like mm-hmm. around the time that slavery was ending. Yeah, but what that does is call forth people, forgive me, like you, who sort of see what's going on and have the inner capacities and the opportunity to, to engage with these challenges and come up with solutions. I've just, just when we were in the staff meeting yesterday and you were talking about this new idea to deal with the housing problem. It was just like ding, ding, ding. That's one of those things that, you know, I'm, I'm aware I'm, I'm looking for that kind of creative thinking that's called innovation. It's also called adaptation, you know, in nature. And there you go. There's, there it is. There's the connection between the culture of this place and the nature of this place. It's adapting Mm -hmm. and it's innovating. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's just been this really elegant exemplar of what we see happening in nature, happening in culture. Mm-hmm. I love that you use the word adaptation because that's something that we're working on uh, in terms of coastal resiliency here mm-hmm. on the island, mm-hmm. is looking at ways we can adapt before we retreat. Well, creativity and re- resiliency go hand in hand yeah. in nature and in culture. Yeah. Yeah. And I think two of the things that, you know, Mariah Mitchell also stood for were curiosity and learning by doing. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that those are also things that Nantucketers exemplify. Well, not only that, but I've seen that happening in your programming. I mean, to, to, I've been able to sort of witness from, you know, a little bit of a distance you, the intern program unfold, and I, it's constant. I'm seeing constant learning by doing and firsthand engagement. And what also is really interesting is to see it getting transferred from, you know, the staff, you know, the sort of elders of, the, of those groups, and then to the interns, and then to the kids. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the programming that you brought to the organization. Sure. What I did was to try and design some new programming that would dovetail with what's already going on out here, but also sort of expand, perhaps. So I, I teach a, a program called Big History, which is an emerging field that looks at the entire evolution of the cosmos. So it has a lot of astronomical and celestial physics and that kind of thing. But then it also studies, you know, planetary dynamics and biology, ecosystems, chemistry. And then it even gets into, you know, um, zoological evolution and uh, anthropological evolution, how humans emerged and diversified and came to inhabit the world. And then it looks at the rise of civilizations and how that happened and industrialization and technological revolution. So I've been teaching a course called Big History Nights up at Loins on Thursday nights. runs from 8.30 to 10. Every Thursday night it's free. You do have to register. But So I've been giving that. It's been, it's been fascinating. Also, I play some films that, I've, that I produced that tell the story of the universe. And then we, you know, we pause the films and we talk about things. And the feedback's been amazing. I mean, the people just, I just see it light up. And I can see what I'm saying registering with the, you know, with the audience and uh a lot of great conversations have, you know, emerged from that. And then I also have been teaching also on Thursdays in the afternoon what's called a Earth Story Walk. And so what I do is I take the entire history of the Earth, which is a 4.6 billion year story, and we go for a walk where every foot, every sort of stride equals about a million years. And as we walk, I sort of tell the story of the Earth. Usually in a, I usually do this at Gardner Farm 
as we walk, I tell the story, and it ends up becoming a transitioning slowly from a story of the earth to the story of the person who's doing the walk. That's the idea, is that it, it transitions from a planetary story to a personal story. Uh, and what's really fun about it is that by the time we get toward the end, by the time we're almost back to the parking lot, we do a big loop, I pull out a tape measure and I put it on the ground and I show how it's one-fifth of one millimeter on this tape measure that represents the entire you know, industrial revolution started here. And you can't even really see it. It's like, And it just goes to show how immense the human impact, the human story, and how quickly it has unfolded on this planet. And it, and it gives us an opportunity to sort of reflect on, on that and think about what we're doing, especially in the context of the entire history of the, of the earth, which is really fascinating. And then thirdly, uh, we're just starting a new course. It starts on the 31st, uh, August 31st. It's called Oika for Earthlings. Again, this is the research that I do, which is about comparing and exploring the continuities between natural and cultural systems. And I'm teaching a course on that that is basically for anybody, anybody. For, it's for all earthlings. It tells the history of the universe. And it's kind of a deep dive into not only the story of the universe, 13.8 billion year story, but also some of the scientific concepts that are emerging that are truly, they're really breakthrough ideas in terms of ecological dynamics and how they play out across human systems, even like cognitive systems. So it's kind of exploratory, but, uh, but it should be a lot of fun. I love all of those things. And I, I am really caught by a couple, one of which is that I think there is this real interest in walking and thinking, right, that mm. has kind of emerged in the last 10 or 15 years, right? Popular people walk the, you know, El Camino in Spain and do other similar walks as like a personal journey or pilgrimage. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, this idea that you can be in nature and be thinking or learning and have that experience is really mind opening for people. So I love that you're doing that here. And a lot of that has to do with the rhythm. Yeah. The rhythm of walking, which is very human scaled rhythm. And meditative. And meditative. It opens up channels of cognitive awareness. That pattern, though, that, that rhythm is happening across scales. It's happening in the tides. It's happening mm -hmm. in the day. It's circadian. We're evolved to tune into those rhythms. And so mm -hmm. walking is one of them. Yeah. And Mariah Mitchell was a walker, as we know. Right. She was a she, naturalist. She was. And she took a daily nature walk every day. I think the other thing that's super interesting about what you're bringing to all of this is the ability to turn it into a story. Mm. Um, and I think that that's another way that we're evolving in that, you know, learning these days is much more about what kind of a story you can tell. Well, again, I, I mean, as an anthropologist, or the, the part of, of the anthropological story that I study anyway has to do with the evolution of story in human cognition. And so we are deeply, deeply storytelling creatures. In fact, that is the thing that we should attribute to all of our quote-unquote success on the planet. It doesn't surprise me <laughs> that you love story too because it really is, you know, it's how human beings make meaning of the world and we are in right now what some sociologists call a meaning crisis. And so it doesn't surprise me at all then that storytelling or narrative is going to be a powerful, let's just say a powerful force in how we define and shape the future that we live in. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're kind of right on the edge of Nantucket having a new story. 
right? And I think that runs parallel to Mariah Mitchell Absolutely. having a new story, right? And being able to look deeper into the work that she did and see more meaning, right? Other than the comet, right? Which really, again, changed the trajectory of her life and life for many women. But she was more than that discovery. Absolutely. She was, I've been calling her sort of the original nature bather. Uh, <laughs> just because I, and what's, what's really awesome is that I get to, I get to walk, I get to spend time in the places that she would have spent too. And that's just been, it's just been so revealing. I wonder um, if I could just end then with maybe a quote from her. Mm -hmm. There's so many that I could have chosen, but this one, I just think it really reflects so much of what Oika is all about and what the Mariah Mitchell Association is all about. She wrote, quote, we cannot see how impartially nature gives of her riches to us all without loving all and helping all. And if we cannot learn through nature's laws the certainty of spiritual truths, we can at least learn to promote spiritual growth while we are together and live in a trusting hope of a greater growth in the future. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks for having me. <laughs> If you have been listening, I'm Joanna Roach with the Mari Mitchell Association. I'm here with Dr. Rich Blundell, and our podcast is called The Nature of Nantucket.